Welcome to the Nahrain Network. Today we're with René Teichelor from Netherlands, um, a friend and a colleague who has worked in Iraq um, in the early years of 2004. René has a, a background in book conservation, bookbinding, degrees in anthropology and sociology, so, social psychology. Hello, René. How are you today? Thank you. I'm fine. Why did you go to Iraq in the first place? Well, um, it started actually with me joining uh, the CIMIC uh, unit uh, in the Dutch Army. CIMIC is uh, the Civil Affairs Unit in the Army. Uh, I was in the conference and uh, here in the Netherlands. And um, the commander of the unit uh, approached me after I gave a lecture. Uh, if I uh, wouldn't like to join the CIMIC unit. Um, I have a bit of a leftist uh, background, being protesting against uh, uh, the army in general, actually. Uh, I didn't join the army when I had to, and it was still uh, in the times of uh, inscription. Um, so all the same, I started the discussion with him. And uh, it looked to me that uh, the CIMIC unit was a, a really fair unit. Uh, and if you want to change something, or at least contribute something, uh, from my perspective, uh, as an, uh, an, um, an heritage expert, uh, you might as well do it uh, during the war. Now, many other people uh, are working during the war, a lot of NGOs, civil servants, uh, but we were always absent, we meaning heritage experts. Uh, we were uh, trying to do something before a conflict started, uh, but actually mainly we were concentrating on uh, post-conflict uh, periods. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Why don't we do something during a conflict? <clears throat> um, and then the unit, uh, uh, the CIMIC unit, uh, seemed uh, very well prepared. It was the first unit. It was sort of a breakthrough in the Dutch army. And I decided to join it. Um, I became an officer. And I must admit that the first time I was uh, shooting uh, a gun, a, a pistol, it sort of hit me. Uh, it wasn't easy to uh, be introduced uh, to such kind of uh, violence, um, but it was sort of part of the deal. And actually, before I knew it, they wanted me to go to, uh, to Iraq as a senior um, advisor for the Ministry of Culture uh, in Baghdad, uh, attached to the American Embassy. So. Um, I met my predecessor, uh, Zena Bahrani, in uh, on a conference in Istanbul, and I decided uh, to take on the job uh, because I thought that I uh, could contribute something uh, uh, during uh, during a conflict um, in uh, safeguarding a cultural heritage of such an important country as in Iraq. And this was the Iraqi Reconstruction Management Office, which was part of the U.S. Embassy. It was, yes. And more, what was its role specifically? Well, it was the follow-up of the CPA, uh, the Coalition Provision Authority. Um, and um, actually, it, it, sounds, um, it sounds very arrogant, but everybody knows that the U.S. was running the country. Uh, they took over the entire administration uh, of Iraq, uh, all the political institutions, uh, including the main mistakes uh, everybody knows today, is firing uh, the, or dissolving the army uh, and uh, dissolving the Ba'ath Party and firing everybody uh, uh, who was a member of uh, the Ba'ath Party, including all uh, civil servants, set of ministries, etc. So uh, within the CPA, they uh, started with sort of a government, but um, the, the people in that uh, provisional government uh, only could be, um, uh, could be there uh, when uh, Bremer, the, the ambassador at the time at the US embassy, uh, was approving uh, these positions. Then uh, in Irmo, uh, the, the government, the Iraqi government, was a little bit, uh, had a little bit more power 
and uh, every ministry within the RMO at the um, uh, embassy, because we were part of the embassy of the United States, uh, um, every uh, uh, ministry had a senior advisor, and I was the one for the uh, Ministry of Culture. What was the role of the senior advisors? Well, that wasn't quite clear. Um, you sort of fill it in yourself. So uh, um, I made a plan, uh, but uh, the plan was didn't really get approved or anything. Nobody did anything with that because I wanted an advisor for archaeological site. I wanted an advisor for the museums. Uh, I wanted an advisor for the library and archives, etc. Uh, somebody who would run uh, the finances. Uh, that never went through. So I was there all by myself with an uh, Iraqi uh, secretary. And uh, that was it. So, so before we get into your role as a senior advisor for the Ministry of Culture um, at the Iraqi Reconstruction Management Office, could you tell us a bit about the, the background, the, the, the environment in which you were working in I mean, this is post-invasion, post so the early years. We're speaking here about 2000 and the summer of 2004. Yes, that's correct. Um, and so I, I guess that, 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 was, that period was um, one or... Well, it, yeah, it was a period uh, when um, the, um, I should I say, the, the war more or less started. I mean, you had the invasion with the American, the UK, and the, the, they prefer to call the coalition uh, parties. Um, which there wasn't really much to do about it because uh, it was a preemptive uh, war and the leadership of uh, UK and US. Um, and only afterwards, uh, the UN approved uh, the, the war. Um, so because of the uh, uh, two horrible uh, uh, measures uh, Bremer took, uh, a lot of people uh, started uh, getting irritated uh, with the uh, occupation, meaning that uh, uh, more and more people protested, and not only uh, the Sunnis because they were out of power, uh, but also uh, Shiite uh, people. You had the, the Battle of Najaf, uh, Nazaria, uh, uh, and of course uh, Tikriti, etc., etc., Fallujah. Uh, and so I was in the middle of the war. And um, I had a very high position. Uh, uh, my military rank was a major, uh, but my actual rank was uh, uh, equivalent to a two-star general. Mm. Uh, and I took part in the daily uh, early morning meetings uh, uh, where all the senior advisors were present uh, together uh, with uh, the deputy chief of mission. Um, and. Um, I had my own, uh, well, when I went out, I had, uh, you know, an, a protection unit. Sometimes uh, it was uh, a private unit from uh, Dynacore or from uh, Blackwater, or it was a military unit. I could not get out without protection. Uh, in the end, it looked like uh, I was on an, an, a list uh, to be killed, uh, just like many other VIPs. So the, the protection was necessary. This is an insurgency at the time. There was a yeah. growing insurgency. Yeah, well, using the word insurgent, uh, I ran into a conflict, uh, or at least a discussion uh, with an, a French colleague of mine who said you shouldn't uh, uh, use that word because who is the terrorist uh, uh, in Iraq? And uh, in the end, I, uh, I think I agreed with him. Uh, but at least uh, uh, there were parties, uh, non-government uh, parties uh, using violence, uh, so violent groups. Uh, but there were several uh, of them, of course. Um, yeah, and then um, the, there was one thing uh, that was interesting because I was not American. And there were not that many foreigners at the US Embassy who had uh, uh, similar kind of uh, positions. The British were the senior consultants or the senior advisors uh, for the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, State Department. Uh, some of them were military, some of them were non-military. Uh, uh, but of course, 90% uh, were American uh, uh, Americans. My position as, the, as, as a Dutchman uh, um, made that uh, I was not really that interesting for the U.S. Uh, for the U.S. staff. Uh, 
I was more or less fully supported uh, by uh, the Dutch uh, military command. Uh, well, maybe I should rephrase it. Uh, they didn't pay much attention for me being there. Although I met the Dutch ambassador and he knew he, I was there. And I met the Dutch commander uh, uh, of the, the Dutch troops in the south. He knew I was there. Um, I know uh, I knew that there were one or two people of uh, Dutch intelligence, uh, military intelligence watching me, but uh, they were never problems. So uh, that was okay. Next to it, nobody was interested in culture. Well, oh, they, were, they were to a point after the Iraq museum was looted uh, or allowed yeah. to be looted. Well, it, you know, I had good contacts with the PR uh, uh, section. Uh, for them, it was more like uh, it would damage uh, the reputation of the uh, the United States and uh, the U.S. troops uh, in uh, Iraq. Uh, I had actually a discussion at one point, and I think it was on, um, on the, an event uh, when the Dutch, when the uh, coalition troops, American troops mainly, were entering Najaf, or was it Nazaria, where the main shrine of Iman Ali is? Um, yeah, Najaf. Najaf, right. And there were pic pictures published on American boots walking uh, on the graveyards. Now, the graveyards I knew were very important because there's a lot of Shiite people from all over the world were buried there as close as possible uh, to the tomb of uh, Iman Ali. So there you have these uh, American boots walking on the graves. I so said, you cannot do that. And this was in the, the, the morning meeting with the ambassador. And um, we had a sort of a heated discussion on that. And uh, uh, he felt insulted, more or less, at least definitely irritated, because I brought up the subject and wouldn't let go. He said, oh, you have experience in uh, the Middle East, etc." I said, well, that is fine, but still, you have a problem there. And I told him, if you want war and if you want to, to, to um, you know, to, to last the war longer, uh, then you should, uh, uh, you know, do these kind of things, because uh, are you enticing the conflict? You're promoting the conflict by doing this. And he said, well, who needs culture? So that was the end of the discussion. Um, so um, nobody really cared until, of course, uh, the whole thing with Babylon blew up and then later Sumatra, etc. And then it became a different story. We'll get to those, um, those issues. Um, when you say no one cared, you mean within the... Uh, formal, what became formal institutions, the US occupation authorities and the international uh, organizations in Iraq? No, it was the US staff, including, US staff in including the three ambassadors. One of the ambassadors was my direct boss. Uh, he didn't bother with me anyway. He said, you're doing a good job and that was it. So I was more or less completely independent. Then of course, the, the, the role or the, let's say, the, the, the power role of the Ministry of uh, Culture within the uh, provisional uh, government was very little. Nobody cared. Uh, when a minister tried to get money uh, to stop the looting or, uh, to, uh, or do anything uh, on libraries or museums, or archaeological sites to protect them, <clears throat> he just didn't get money. Why was, the case? Why was that the case? Well, first of all, the Ministry of Culture did not have their own budget, like the other ministries didn't. Uh, they were completely dependent on getting uh, money from the Ministry of Finance, which is, of course, a very weak government structure. Um, so uh, they always had to ask for money at the Ministry of Finance. And they wanted to do things themselves, but they didn't, they didn't have money, which is a very strange uh, uh, situation. Then we all knew that uh, uh, Bremer uh, started, uh, actually, you know, like Saddam did in the past. Uh, he chose uh, people in the government or he approved people in the government according to their religion or ethnic background. Um, so we started this, this kind of division already. <clears throat> so within the government, uh, I think it was at that time the Prime Minister Alawali, uh, um, you had already uh, conflicting interests of the different, uh, the different parties represented within the government. And uh, the Ministry of Culture uh, uh, was led by the minister with a communist and Kurdish background. So that didn't help either. Uh, so the Ministry of Culture was, was 
within that structure uh, uh, a weak ministry. But, but we're, we're speaking about the immediacy of the period of post-invasion, so 2003, yeah. 4, 5. But then, and this is, this is before the elections of January 2005, National no, they were already, yeah, yeah, the elections of January. But, yeah, but yeah. that period, this period you're speaking about, um, there wasn't any money in for any of the ministries. No. I mean, the, the, the money was locked. Um, the international money was controlled by the U.S. Occupation Authority, yeah. by the U.S. Embassy. So none of the ministries had any money. I mean, they didn't. Not they, that I know salaries. of. Well, yeah. you know, they applied for money and uh, the U.S. sometimes uh, gave them money. Actually, the ministry uh, was financed to some extent uh, by uh, the U.S. government. Uh, but, of course, that was uh, uh, not enough. And again, as we probably know from our own countries, at least my country, uh, uh, you know, culture is at the bottom of uh, any kind of government. The uh, interim government, uh, which was there when I worked in uh, Baghdad, uh, did have access uh, to the uh, oil for food program surplus funds. Uh, and it's called the Central Bank of Iraq Development Fund for Iraq DFI, that is actually the uh, proper uh, name of uh, the funds. Uh, still, you had left, uh, which was actually about 20, uh, 28 billion in the year after the invasion, so a lot of money. And they used to finance that for civil administration, humanitarian needs, and infrastructure repairs, etc. But the CPA, of course, uh, uh, the predecessor of uh, the interim government, um, still had a lot to say on how to spend that money. And about uh, the individual budgets, um, the uh, ministers did have uh, individual budgets, and some of them uh, was uh, financed. Uh, uh, by the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, interim authorities at that time. Uh, the budget was very small and was only about actually renovating the ministries, meaning equipment, uh, etc. So the Ministry of Culture did not have any budget for putting up uh, projects or financing uh, the INLA, the National Library and Archives. Uh, so all the funds uh, for renovation, for example, uh, the Iraqi uh, Museum and uh, the National Libraries and Archives, that were funds coming from outside sources, in the sense that uh, not from the Ministry of Culture, because they simply did not have that money. They couldn't afford it. Another problem was, which I think I, I mentioned before too, is um, they not only had the money to fund projects, uh, but it was also very difficult to receive money uh, um, and give it directly to, to the Ministry of Culture. For example, I had the ideas of uh, selling off the four heads of uh, Saddam, which were on, uh, the, which were on the, the, the rooftops of um, uh, the palace in, in Baghdad, where the U.S. Embassy was uh, situated at the time. Uh, because if I would have sold them off, the money would go to the Ministry of Finance. The same goes with all the uh, material that was in the vault, uh, uh, which I had access to, um, and that needed to be, uh, the, the vault was in the, in the palace, and that needed to be returned uh, to the proper authorities, Iraqi authorities. You know, the, the hundreds and maybe thousands of bottles of alcohol. Now, I'm, one, well, the first idea he had was selling them off. And then the minister said, yeah, well, you can do that, but then the, the funds have to go to uh, the Ministry of Finance. I cannot receive that money. The same with all the cars uh, we confiscate, or that were already confiscated, like the Rolls Royces from Hitler times. That one was worth over a million uh, dollars. And, um, my idea was to put it uh, on sale uh, in, in the United States. But then again, the minister said, well, you know, and all the money would go to the Ministry of Finance. So there was only one thing uh, for me uh, left, is to return everything to the Ministry of Culture in this case, was this, the, um, uh, to Donny George and the SBAH. So everything was parked or transported uh, to the Iraqi Museum, actually. 
Actually, it was so much that uh, Donny George told me at one time, please, please stop giving me all those things. I have no storage for it anymore. Yeah. And so, um, and then what are your main priorities as a, as, a, as, a, as a senior advisor for the Ministry of Culture? What were you working on specifically? Well, the priorities came by practice. Uh, it depended on, you know, what was going on. I had to, of course, get, get acquainted with everybody. Actually, the Ministry of Culture didn't really like me, or I, at least I was the, the, the fourth or the fifth advisor after two Italian uh, ambassadors and uh, John Russell uh, from the United States. Um, so he wasn't really waiting for another advisor. And actually, uh, he told me that. And uh, so he was sort of, you know, very aloof. And I thought, well, uh, I'm not on vacation here. So if nobody wants me, I'll go home. So I went over to the minister. I said, um, you know, the Dutch are very, uh, uh, very direct and very upfront. Um, so please take that into consideration when I'm telling you that um, um, I want to know whether you want to work with me or not. Because this is not a vacation. It's a danger zone. And if you don't feel uh, um, you, you, you want to work with me, then it, of course it's your right. Uh, but please tell me, then I'm going to pack my bags and go home. Well, then he laughed and he said, okay, tamam, tamam, let's work together. Uh, so that was the first um, hobble I had to take. Um, so the first things that came to me, and especially also via Donny George, who was at that time already, I think, uh, the DG, the general director of the SBAH, the Antiquities Department, uh, a lot of things uh, from uh, um, from the possessions of Saddam were more or less bundled around uh, or in the green zone uh, and uh, to some extent also within the uh, embassy we had a room there uh, a vault actually and I had the key to it uh, later on I uh, noticed that the CIA was uh, duplicating uh, all kinds of documents within the vault which I was supposed to have the only key to it but that's a different story um, so there were a lot of things uh, that needed to uh, go back to uh, to the museum because I didn't know anybody else, uh, um, you know, to to give the things to. So um, there were these uh, famous carriages from Saddam. Um, we transported them uh, at night on a trolley uh, in secret. Um, there were uh, cars about. 20 or 30 or probably even more cars, including a Rolls Royce that was given uh, to the former king of um, uh, Iraq by Hitler, uh, a Mercedes Benz, which must have been worth at least a million dollars. I wanted to sell it, but uh, you know, then, the, then the, the money would go to, uh, uh, to the Ministry of Finance. So the minister said, no, no use. Cadillacs, pink Porsches. Actually, before that, uh, the, the staff of the, um, Embassy was driving those kind of cars. So that was the thing. So we transported them uh, again in secret um, to an uh, underground garage uh, near the town hall. And the mayor could um, uh, drive in a uh, white Mercedes that was uh, an armored car as well. So uh, th those kind of things. Uh, and actually, well, there were all kinds of things. There was about uh, uh, thousands of bottles of uh, spirits, alcohol. Uh, I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, and, you know, uh, so what are you supposed to do with it? Then the Americans came to me and they said, the Marines, he said, well, uh, we can auction them off here at the embassy. And then uh, uh, we put the money into the orphanage fund. And I said, no, it's not, not, you know, everything has to go back to the Iraqis. It's not our deal. It's, it's not, you know, it's not ours. So that was my, anything that, that uh, people came to me that was uh, from uh, Saddam, uh, in my uh, uh, honest opinion, should be returned, whatever it was, should be returned to the uh, proper Iraqi authorities. And which was uh, uh, in practice, actually, the poor Donny George, because at one time at the museum, at one time he said, Renee, how much more <laughs> do you want to give me? I mean, this, you know, I don't have uh, any storage for it anymore. 
So, um, and of course, just just one story. Of course, uh, uh, things were stolen. Like what was stolen? Well, there were. Uh, I I got a uh, message from the office of the premier Alalavi, I think, uh, that there were twelve carpets, and I mean, huge carpets, you know, like, you know, twenty by thirty meters Persian carpets, uh, um, at the embassy, the former palace of Saddam. And he wanted them back. Well, you know, what can I do? I should. Uh, what he does with it, it's not, you know, it is not my responsibility. So I got hold of two or three. Uh, the rest were gone. Then uh, a member of the staff saw that I was collecting these carpets and he said, well, I know a couple more. And he said, the others, uh, you have to go to Washington uh, because the generals took them on the planes back home. Uh, they were plainly stolen. Uh, so I recovered probably three or four, and I put them um, outside the embassy, outside the rooms, uh, in order to transport them uh, to the premier's office the next day. And when I uh, wanted to transport them, and the lorry was ready, the carpets were gone. Uh, you know, many things happened like this. And, uh, and of course, these are not, I mean, these were the property of the palaces and Saddam Hussein before 2003, but the, by when you were there, they were the property of the state. What do you mean? Which state? The Iraqi state. Yes, of course. In my opinion, it was, yes. Hmm. So it wasn't, I mean, you, you can't say that it was a property of an individual, which is no, what no, often no. is said, and then, and then, and then appropriate them uh, um, on that basis. No, I mean, no. Uh, uh, most of it was, was some kind of art or heritage, of course, not the cars. Although uh, the old car, the, the Mercedes-Benz, uh, definitely was heritage. Uh, but it was very clear, according to the uh, uh, antiquities law, you know, the older one, I think. Uh, well, anyway, uh, uh, everything found on Iraqi soil uh, uh, is, uh, belongs to the state. Very simple. Uh, we had the same problem with the so-called Jewish archives, but that's a different story. So, you know, whatever uh, was found, whether it was Saddam or Uday, his son, uh, or whatever, uh, was not ours in the sense uh, it was not the American, it was not Dutch, it was nothing of the coalition uh, troops. It had to be returned to uh, the Iraqis. Do we, do we know what happened to those items, um, those cultural objects in particular, or the collection that you saw uh, or had keys to? Um... Well, many were stolen. Uh, I never knew what happened to uh, to uh, the alcohol and the spirits. Uh, I turned over everything to a member of the staff of the embassy because I did not have an, uh, a succeeder. Uh, so uh, I let them sign for it. And in the end, that was very... Uh, uh, very wise or because uh, I could prove that uh, it did not end up in the Netherlands or whatever. So, um, um, yeah. Um, before we get to speak about Babel, I mean, you worked with John, Donny George. Um, so he was the, the director of the State Board of Antiquities and Heritage. And his staff. Yeah. yeah, and his staff, I mean, which is part of what is now Ministry of Culture. Um, could you just tell us about your experience working with him? Um, what were the challenges that he was experiencing and that you were helping him with or you were learning about through his work? Well, Donny was an amazing guy. First of all, he spoke English very well, uh, which for a person who never went abroad at that time uh, was amazing. Uh, but he had a very good background, a very good schooling very good education. Uh, he was the one actually uh, who called uh, the British Museum uh, when the National Museum in Baghdad was being looted. And through his contacts, uh, um, everything you know developed of saving the museum. And after a couple of days, uh, the, the museum was protected by tanks. Too late, of course, the looting was already over. But it was uh, uh, Donny who did that. And uh, we had a regular contact, uh, uh, 
when I went to museum to, to the museum, I had to be, uh, you know, I had uh, an, a military or a private company uh, convoy with me. But Donny George often went up to the gates of the green zone uh, just by himself and uh, was waiting for me. It was dangerous because you knew the gates were being uh, watched uh, by uh, all kinds of people uh, who wanted to do something uh, to you. Uh, but uh, we planned it very carefully. He gave me a call uh, when he was there and I was standing uh, at the gate. Nobody could see me. Received the call. I said, uh, I'm here. Where are you? And he would um, paint uh, uh, to me where his car was. And then I went through and then everything went very smoothly. But it was dangerous. So um, well, we had frequent uh, uh, contact. Uh, Seeing that the international community was very upset about uh, the looting and the destruction of the museum, uh, uh, money was flowing in. And Donny was the right person to do so, uh, to handle everything. So he didn't really need my advice. Um, I decided that the, libra the libraries were forgotten and that nobody was taking care of the libraries. Uh, so I was spending uh, quite a few times uh, at the National Library uh, and the Archives, the, the INLA, uh, with the uh, Director General, uh, and to help them out. Then uh, later on, I got more involved in the protection of archaeological sites and uh, the whole Babylon project, etc. The Deputy Minister of Culture, uh, Dr. Mesun Tamaluji. Now, she got a uh, degree in architecture in London. And actually, after uh, she afterwards she returned to London uh, to become an architect again. We worked very intensively and had very good contact. Uh, she was a very kind person, uh, and she confided in me and some of the plans and asked my advice. For example, there were plans to build a new museum uh, in the marshes. She wrote out a competition, <coughs> and she asked me to have a look at the plans. Uh, uh, that was during a gathering of all the, the presentation of those plans, including, you know, where the, the architects were present. And I noticed that some of the plans were really totally useless. For example, one of the buildings consisted of aluminum sheetings on the building, just the outside, you know, covered with aluminum sheetings. That, in my opinion, in a hot and, and, and uh, wet climate, uh, especially in the summer, that just didn't make any sense because then the inside uh, would become hot again, uh, or would be hot too, so that just doesn't make any sense. Then another plan, which looked pretty okay, but uh, the point was that they imported oak uh, from Norway. Now, everybody knows that if you start building, the, the best is to use local materials. Now, uh, oak is very well, uh, um, yeah, it's a good material to use in the northern and uh, northern countries of Europe and Central Europe and in cold uh, climates, uh, but certainly not in hot climates that will crack, you know, within uh, within a couple of months. So, uh, you know, I told them so that that was after uh, that was neglected. Or, I mean, that was not accepted that plan. And I also remember uh, I gave a lecture to the architects. Uh, probably afterwards, I'm not quite sure. And I told them to make use of uh, local materials uh, as much as possible, and I told them why. And in fact, uh, later, and the Canadian architect uh, won the competition, that was in 2005. And if you look at uh, the present museum in the marshes now, uh, it also became not only a museum, but also a research uh, center, which I think is a, a very good idea especially to, to um, promote traditional knowledge. And uh, if you look at the building, it's, it's built on what we call uh, uh, in the idea of green architecture. So a lot of roofs are covered by, by, by earth, etc. It's a, a very interesting project. Uh, and it's also integrated in the um, rehabilitation of the marshes of the area. Um, because, uh, as you know, in order to uh, fight the insurgents uh, or the uprising in the 90s, uh, Saddam uh, just, uh, how do you say that, um, um, 
well, the whole the whole marshes uh, 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 were sort of dammed in and 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 it became very dry. The the trick was uh, for the military to uh, get then easily access uh, to the um, insurgents uh, which were hiding there. So it was a very dry area instead of a you know paradise of the confluence of uh, the Tigris and the, the Euphrates uh, rivers. So um, that was uh, one of the things. And also together with uh, Maysoon, we organized a celebration of the Women's Day. And for that, I went over to the German embassy and got money to do that. And actually we also organized uh, a fashion show for women uh, wearing scarves. So, you know, she came up with uh, very interesting ideas and uh, I supported her all the way. And um, Maysoon's role exactly, what was her role then? Well, um, she belonged uh, uh, um, to the Iraqi elite. Her brother was the Minister of uh, Housing at the time. Uh, uh, but, you know, that was, well, she was also chosen by, by, by uh, uh, the CPA at that time uh, uh, to start it, you know, and the, to, to put a government together uh, uh, with all the, the most influential people in Iraq. So uh, there was a lot of clientism going on as well, and according to ethnic religious uh, divisions. Uh, her role was uh, not as strong, of course, uh, because she was a deputy minister, as the minister uh, himself. But um, I think she did have quite a lot of influence uh, in the policies uh, that were um, yeah that belong yeah that were written out uh, by the by the ministry. Besides that, uh, just like in my position, uh, there were no clear rules in division of, of of what to do and what not to do. You know what what your role was in the government uh, or what my role was in the embassy. So you make up the rules yourself and take uh, the space, the room, and the liberties uh, uh, you think uh, uh, you need to, to work in the, under that circumstances. And in that sense, uh, Maysoon definitely did her best uh, to uh, put up programs uh, and stimulate, um, uh, well, yeah, stimulate the, the, the uh, yeah, positive projects uh, for the uh, Ministry of Culture. So I, I would not underestimate her uh, influence uh, within the Ministry of Culture. And just another question on, on working with Donny George. Um, I mean, he went through a great, you know, a period of stress. He was threatened several times. Do you remember that period? Oh, yeah, definitely. Tell us a bit about that. Well, he wasn't afraid, really. Um, but at one point, it was too much when he received an, uh, an envelope with a bullet in it. I mean, you also have to see he was Christian, right? So uh, that was not a very popular uh, religion at that time. Um, and uh, his son was threatened, his oldest son. And that was actually uh, uh, when he took the decision to leave the country and go to Damascus, which was for me very unfortunate because we trusted each other. And um, through him, I also had a better relation uh, with, the, with the, the Ministry of Culture, for example. Uh, I knew more or less what was going on at the Ministry of Culture because he was there uh, in many discussions. Uh, so he was, uh, for my work, not only personal, but also for my work, a very important person. And actually, the moment uh, that he went, uh, we were very close to... Uh, have uh, uh, to uh, finishing a deal uh, with the Americans on the so-called Jewish archives. Now, the Jewish archives, it's actually not archives, there were uh, quite a few uh, manuscripts there as well. Uh, those were found uh, um, uh, in, the, in the cellar of the Mughabarat, the, the secret service. <clears throat> now, most of the Jews were already driven out of uh, Iraq before, especially in the 90s was the last... Uh, uh, Exodus, uh, and 
there were a couple of uh, Jews left uh, in Baghdad, but they didn't want uh, uh, any contact with anybody. I tried at one particular time, but uh, uh, to no avail. So then um, the uh, US, US uh, civil, uh, uh, civil affairs uh, unit uh, saw those, um, that particular Jewish archive and decided uh, after agreement uh, with the then uh, uh, director general at the SBA agent, the government, to transport them uh, to the United States because they were all wet and uh, they started getting molded and they give them to the National Archive, the NARA in the United States to be treated. But there was an agreement and the agreement was only for one year. And then we got into trouble because uh, especially the librarian, uh, the general director uh, um, of the INLA wanted those uh, documents back. Are we speaking about Saad here, Dr. Yeah, Saad? Saad Al-Eskandar, yeah. And uh, the minister uh, agreed with uh, Saad Iskander and said, yeah, well, you know, the period is over, we need them back. And um, now to talk about Hebrew manuscripts um, and anything that was referring to Jews was always very um, sensitive, uh, not only in Iraq, uh, uh, but definitely outside. Uh, at the beginning of the invasion, uh, there was this rumor that Israelis were supporting the coalition forces, some kind of Shrikid units and stuff like that, which in the end wasn't true, actually. Uh, then uh, how do you get the, these uh, Hebrew, uh, I prefer the word Hebrew, uh, manuscripts and archives uh, back from the United States, where there is such an, uh, a strong um, uh, Jewish um, lobby? Actually, the money for the conservation of the manuscripts was brought up uh, by the Jewish community in the United States and especially from Washington and New York. So um, actually the person I was talking to um, at, at the NARA was she was herself. So um, what to do? Then um, I went to Donny and I said, you know what, why do you need these manuscripts back? I'm not quite sure why I went to Donny George uh, instead of uh, um, the DG of uh, the INLA, the uh, National Library and Archives. But this is sort of, sort of the way it worked. Uh, <clears throat> I said, well, we want them back. I said, yeah, okay, why? Why do you want them back? Uh, because it's Iraqi. I said, yeah, but that's not enough. Why do you want them back? Why uh, don't you want uh, copies or something like that? Well, I said, do you have any problems with making copies of it? Digital copies in this case? He said, no, not really. So um, we just want them back because it's ours. I said, okay. Um, then later on, I, I had a tour, which was actually after I left Iraq already. I had a lecture tour uh, in the United States and I uh, went to the National Archives, spoke to the person who was responsible for that. And I said, um, you know, the contract is over, you need to return them. This was already a, a big discussion in the United States. And I said, well, that's going to be difficult. I said, why? Well, uh, you know, restoring them, blah, blah, blah. Um, then uh, I said, um, why do you need them? Well, she said, uh, we need to study them. I said, well, why don't you make uh, digital copies of them? and uh, send back uh, the physical uh, manuscripts and archives back uh, where, do, uh, where they belong, which is uh, the Iraqi state. Now, you have to realize that uh, uh, the Jewish community, uh, uh, not all of them, but, but the big part, thinks that every Jewish object, document, all over the world uh, uh, belongs to the Jewish people and uh, to the Israeli state. Now, I think differently. We had the same discussion in the Netherlands with the Portuguese synagogue here and the manuscripts that were found, etc. Um, I think that any document, whether religious or not, uh, belongs to the state uh, where it is found or housed. Um, so they are the legal owners, especially if, of course, if the community uh, uh, is from the country itself. Now there is a Babylon, a Babylon Jewish Babylon Museum. It's called differently in in uh, Israel, for example. So um, 
that that makes the, the discussion very difficult and complicated. Um, anyway, which the I invited her to, but it was difficult to talk to the Americans because they always have lawyers. And uh, in the Netherlands, when you uh, negotiate, you need start negotiating informally. We call it uh, let, let's have a coffee without anybody present. You know, let's sort of sound each other out and see what you want, and I will tell you what I want, or at least I represent uh, uh, the Iraqi government or the the, the SBEH. And um, of course, this was all transparent with uh, Donny George. I mean. I did not respend, uh, represent, of course, uh, the Iraqi state. I just facilitated and mediated. Um, so we had a meeting when I had an, uh, an ICC uh, Babylon uh, meeting in uh, Berlin. Uh, I invited her. She said, well, I cannot come, but she did come. Uh, we had uh, breakfast together. Donnie was there too. And I said, well, it's very easy. Um, we thank you very much for uh, restoring and conserving these documents because they uh, needed it very much, uh, definitely. Um, but the, um, the SBAH and, and uh, the MOC, the Ministry of Culture, does agree uh, and has no problem with it to, um, you know, if you want to make copies of the materials so you can study them. That is definitely not a problem. Uh, then uh, during the process of con uh, conservation, the Iraqis uh, would like to be invited to uh, be part of the conservation process and can uh, you know, follow courses or being taught how to do it properly. Uh, uh, so everybody benefits from it because um, there's not much uh, knowledge in Iraq anymore about uh, Jewish uh, or Hebrew manuscripts, etc. Uh, their religious manuscripts, so they need, need some kind of uh, uh, special conservation. Uh, only think of uh, being kosher, you know. So, um, and actually, we agreed. So, I drew up uh, uh, a memorandum uh, of uh, understanding. Well, one of the other ones, yeah. Uh, Send it back to the United States, of course. You know, after uh, Donnie agreed with it. And it came back with some legal issues. Uh, it took another month. And just when we were about to close the deal, as the Americans say, uh, Donnie had to flee to Damascus. And that was the end of the story. Uh, they actually, they only got returned last year. Yeah. The, uh, the British archives weren't returned to Iraq. That was yeah. what is called the Baathist archives. Um, yeah, but okay. the Jewish archives are still in the US and sometimes they also uh, they go on tour. Yeah. Yeah, on tour. But yeah. can I just ask you about the, the Jewish archives, what is called the Jewish archives? Yeah. Um what do you think the long term impact is on Iraq on and on the memory of Jewish Hebrew history? If parts of its history and its cultural objects, I know these were the the objects also, the, the items of in, um, community members that had left Iraq yeah. were forced out of the country, depending on the time period. Um, well, it's very clear. I mean, it's part of history. Look at the influence of the, the, the Jewish citizens of Babylon on, on uh, of Baghdad on the music and the uh, Baghdad music. It's a big influence. Uh, so um, think of Babylon itself. I mean, you know, so the, uh, um, the Jewish community at different times in history is important uh, for the history of Iraq, of course. So if part of the history is held uh, um, in, uh, you know, outside the country, uh, in a foreign country, uh, it doesn't uh, make sense. And the Iraqis will lose that, that, that knowledge. It's specific knowledge, especially if you think of, uh, well, you know, the religious uh, traditions and stuff like that. Also in part of, uh, you know, in, in, in the light of conservation. Uh, so it's a bad thing. But then again, like you said, the Bath uh, uh, um, uh, archive uh, just, uh, just returned. That was stolen already in, uh, in the 90s in uh, the Iran-Iraq war. 
but also think of uh, the other archives uh, of uh, Makanan. Uh, what's his name? Makia. Uh, yeah, Makia. Uh, and I've I've seen them too. Uh, there are big ledgers uh, from the Mughabarat, from the Secret Service. Uh, I, I saw the names of all kinds of students, their brothers, their mothers, etc., the whole family, what kind of political affiliation they had. And they were actually photographed um, uh, in a house which was within the premise of the Green Zone uh, with a digital camera, which is, is rather amateuristic, I must say. They disappear too. And they're, actually, they're, they're the ones in the US. They're the ones in also, part in the US, and they're yeah. part of it is in Iraq, and they're the ones that, yeah, uh, as far as I know, were at least part or fully returned to Iraq uh, recently. Okay, so at that point, yeah, yeah. The, the actually archive, yeah, if you like, yeah, the ones that he helped spirit out of the country uh, with the support of, of yeah. the US authorities. And, yes, um, yes. Well, actually. When I was on my tour, uh, 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 my lecture tour in the United States, which I referred to earlier, um, I got invited uh, by the by a committee in Harvard. I had a lecture in Harvard University, and the committee wanted to know. Uh, they got offered, I think, uh, the, these uh, um, these archives. We just uh, I forgot the name. What's what's the name again? Makia. Yeah, Kanan Makia. Uh, oh, yeah, Kanan Makia. Ba Baphist, yeah, yeah. What is called the Baphist archives. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so they invited me uh, because they were offered uh, uh, these um, uh, Kanan Makia archives, the Baphist archives, and they wanted my opinion uh, on, you know, on that. And I said, well, it's very simple. It's not yours. Don't accept them. Uh, it's property of the uh, Iraqi state, and they should stay in the Iraqi state. Um, um, that was very clear, so we discussed it, and I said, uh, if you will accept them, uh, I'm sure uh, uh, legal measures will be taken. And uh, I would advise the uh, Iraqis uh, to go uh, to the U.S. court uh, because of illegal possession uh, of uh, the state property of a foreign country. Um, that shook them up a little, and they said, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Teigler, and uh, they didn't accept them. So later on, they, I think there was a university in uh, California that did accept it, Stanford, I think. Yeah. Quite sure. Yeah. Stanford, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, uh, why do you think um, the US were interested in all of these archives? I mean, obviously, with the, with the Jewish archives, obviously, there's a Jewish community in Iraqi Jewish community in Europe, in Australia, in the US that are concerned with um, let's call them the community archives of their ancestors and grandparents and parents and so on. But why would they be interested in the Baphist archives, for instance? I think uh, to the, I'm not quite sure, I'd only guess actually. Um, they, they, they were interested in the Bath Party, how it came about, the history of it. Uh, 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 you know, the Ba'ath Party, not only in Iraq, but in general, uh, in other countries as well. Uh, uh, I think for historical reasons, and that translated into intelligence. Actually, it's in, uh, uh, information that could be useful for uh, uh, US intelligence services. I think that is the only reason I could come up with. Ottoman archives, could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, it's also a, a strange name, like the Jewish archives, but that's what they're sort of called. Um, the National Library and Archives, uh, the, the National Archives in this case, uh, uh, had an, uh, a collection uh, that uh, went back to the Ottoman uh, times, when, uh, you know, before 1920s, before the king uh, was installed in uh, Iraq. Um, and that was archives, old books written in Ottoman uh, uh, style. Um, anyway, they tried to protect that. Much of the, the, the collections uh, were saved, actually. Uh, but other collections, uh, like the uh, newspaper collections and photograph collections, were almost completely destroyed. And one of the uh, uh, collections, the so-called Ottoman uh, archives collections, um, were um, stored in the officers club, that were actually a military area. 
uh, in one of the halves at Officers Club, very famous uh, within uh, in in uh, Baghdad, and they were stored in the so-called cool, the school storage of the kitchen, the former kitchen. Now that uh, complex was uh, uh, guarded by uh, uh, I don't know local guards, and actually the officers or the 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 uh, yeah the area where the, the officers club were. Uh, actually, that's where the Americans wanted to build a new library, uh, which, after discussions uh, with uh, 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 Assad, Iskander, we decided it's uh, totally ridiculous, which is not a story anyway, but uh, we had somebody called in to uh, give us a report on the uh, physical structure of the library after the uh, plunder and uh, the fires. That was okay, so we decided, uh, you know, it's a recognizable location, so let's stay here and uh, restore the library. Now, the Americans had already set uh, uh, quite a lot of money aside for the new library, so we asked for them, well, we'd rather put it in the building that's already there, and they refused. Very strange, don't ask me why. Well, anyway, um, the Ottoman archives were then uh, stored, uh, the, it was time to uh, get them back, uh, so the DG, the general director, uh, sent uh, some of the, his people over to that area uh, to uh, get the uh, archives uh, back to the uh, on the premises of uh, the library and uh, national library and archives. Uh, and then the guards wanted money; they didn't allow them to come in. So. You know, Saad uh, called me and I said, what am I going to do? I said, okay. And this is one of the examples of uh, being a military officer uh, uh, and a cultural advisor at the same time. So I called up the army and I said, I need an, uh, a platoon. Um, then at that time, and I want you to do nothing. Just, uh, you know, go with the uh, staff of the, the library, sit outside, Put out your guns and smoke cigarettes. That's all you do. I told them, you know, we wanted to retrieve it and that uh, the guards uh, were making trouble. And that's what happened. So we took them out. Nobody was in our way and uh, got in our way. And uh, we took them out. And then I found out that they were in coolers, although the saying was that they were, uh, in, uh, they were in freezers, but they were not in freezers. Then again, uh, they were in coolers, but as you know, there are a lot of black, blackouts and brownouts uh, uh, in Baghdad at the time. So the worst thing that can happen to something that is frozen or cooled, at, at least as conservation is concerned with objects, uh, is that the temperature uh, drops uh, uh, and then you know goes high again and drops and goes high again. So you have to imagine like you know you're pulling at a manuscript and you're pushing it back, and you're pulling and you're pushing it back. So that was the worst uh, circumstances than ever. So we took them out. And meanwhile, I organized an, uh, a grant of $100,000 uh, from the so-called SERP money. I mean, there are all kinds of funds going around within the army, within the staff, and I don't know. Anyway, I got, uh, and I um, met several uh, contractors um, to, to do the job. My first, reaction was to give it uh, to an uh, Iraqi uh, business, but that didn't work because they were giving me money under the table and I didn't accept that. Uh, so I went through with an American I trusted a company. He did a very good job. He um, took the, um, the freezer truck, we put it on the premises of the uh, Inla. Uh, we protected it from the outside so that bullets and, and shells would not enter the um, uh, the freezer truck. We put an, um, uh, how do you say that, an uh, uh, electricity machine, I forgot the word, generator. Exactly. Yeah, we put a generator there and uh, we gave them money for uh, a year of diesel to uh, keep the, uh, um, to keep the generator going. And the best uh, uh, is actually minus 22 degrees and the truck could handle that. I also uh, have, ev have the everything repacked in acid-free boxes. That was also done uh, not to uh, make the stacks too high. Uh, so 
what sounded like a perfect project. Until later, I uh, noticed uh, that uh, the director criticized the project because uh, he didn't have uh, the money to continue uh, to pay for the diesel for the uh, generator, which was not my fault. But the, but, uh, the money, um, I mean, you, you mentioned SERP, which is the Commander's Emergency Response Program. True. I mean, this was um, money confiscated from the state of Iraq, in part, money that was frozen outside the country, um, and, but also US money. It was a combination of the two. Um, and it was obviously stabilization, so short term. And, and so they wouldn't have money for, for, for the kind of things you're speaking about, you know, long-term um, planning and no. salaries. No. Uh, and I guess that became a problem. I mean, that became a problem over time because there was just simply an absence of any kind of planning. The, the money was within the military itself, the, the US yeah, military. Yeah. True. Well, later on, uh, uh, because the minister um, uh, lived for a long time in the, uh, the Czechoslovak Republic, and he had contacts there. Actually, he was a radio journalist there. And um, there were contacts uh, with the National Archives uh, in Prague. Uh, so later on, I understood, but probably too late, actually. Um, the whole Ottoman archives were transferred uh, for conservation uh, to Prague and then returned, of course.